Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah. If you're not sure where that is, if you find Psalms right in the middle of your Bible, it's just a couple books past that. You can start flipping there if you have your Bible with you. And we're going to be looking at a particular passage that is the calling of the prophet Isaiah, his being set apart for prophetic ministry. So there's some things that are particular to that, but it also illustrates some beautiful themes about God's holiness and how when Isaiah views God's holiness, it changes his perspective about how he sees everything else. So that's what we're going to look at today in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you've got your Bible flip there, if not, it's handily printed on the insert of your bulletin and also should be up on the screen behind me. So read along with me the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the whole house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful and active. Thank you that even though it was written many years ago, it is alive and it is true for us today. We ask by your spirit that you would teach us from your word, that you would show us a glimpse of what it means to know a holy God and that you would change us through the power of your word. Lord, we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about how important it is to really have the right vision, to be looking through the right lenses. And I followed up with Mark Brown, because Mark had shared a little bit of a story that he'd experienced when he went down with our mission team to Armenia. Uh, Part of what they do on that mission trip is to set up clinics to get people eyeglasses. So they have, him do, they have them do a full eye exam, they get their prescription, then they take it up to someone like Mark, who's got a few hundred glasses in front of him, takes that sheet of paper and tries to work some magic. Okay, which one? So he told me he was there, he had one young lady come up to him, gave him a prescription, he looked at it and said, this is, this is kind of a tough one, this is a pretty strong prescription, it's a little tricky. Okay, all right, so he rifles through, he's like, no, I don't have anything that's exactly like it, but he grabbed a couple of pairs that were pretty close. And then he went down to talk to the young lady, and it turns out it wasn't actually for her, but she was kind of the courier for a friend who was wheelchair-bound, who couldn't actually even get over to Mark to get the glasses. So Mark introduces himself, says hello to her, takes the glasses, gives her the first pair. She kind of puts them on, looks around, nothing really happens. He's like, okay, that's probably not it. Takes out a second pair, gives it to her, she puts them on, she looks around, There's an open door, and she looks out the open door across the street, and Mark said, he just saw this grin come across her face. Because she could see, for the first time, things that had been unavailable to her were clear. 
When she got the right set of lenses, the whole world was opened up to her, and she could see everything differently now. Mark said it was such a powerful moment for him to see. I think his exact words were, she wasn't the only one who had her eyes open that day. But it reminds me of the importance of looking through the right lenses. If we really want to see correctly. And what I'm going to suggest today is that we often don't do that. And when we fail to look through the lens of God's holiness, we really get a distorted view of God, of ourselves, of salvation, of everything around us. But thankfully, that's why we're going to camp out in Isaiah today, because it paints a beautiful picture of God's holiness, that when we see it, when we see God's holiness, we'll see him more clearly, we'll see ourselves more accurately, and we'll understand the gospel more deeply. So there you go. There's your roadmap. That's where we're headed today. I've kind of made the observation that holiness is a pretty big deal in this chapter. Let's go ahead and look at it. Back up what I say. You shouldn't just take my word for it. But let's look at the scene that's laid out in Isaiah's vision of God. Just starting in verse 1, we see the Lord is sitting on his throne high and lifted up. You've got this imagery of this conquered, this conquering king rules all, who is above all, who's lifted up above all others. The supreme authority, the supreme power. And then it describes the seraphim. And it's interesting, it kind of takes a little bit of time. You think it would just say, and there were some angels there. But the seraphim are the attendants in the throne room of God. And if you've read much about scripture, what happens when people come across an angel? They tend to kind of freak out. I mean, it's usually a response of like, I don't think this is right and I shouldn't be here. Or quaking like they're dead. Sometimes they lose their speech. (laughs) It's a powerful thing. When they come into the presence of a glorious being, they respond. And they respond strongly. And I say that so you can understand how interesting it is when a seraphim, a glorious, sinless, pure being, is standing in the presence of God and it's covering its face. When we see God's holiness, we're going to learn to see him better. We're going to learn to see him more as he actually is. That's a picture of it, of these angels shielding themselves from the glorious holiness of God. Okay, it goes on. Then they call out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. Now that, to us, it just sounds nice because we sing it. You know, holy, holy, holy. Okay, they said holy three times. It's kind of lost on us. But in Hebrew, they don't really have exclamation points. You know, they, they didn't write in all caps when they wanted to communicate they were yelling something. But what they did was they repeated themselves. So if you wanted to say, like, the really big, nasty um, pit outside, you would say it's the pit pit. It's like the big one. It's the bad one. It's like this is an important thing. So when you repeat something, you're saying this is really important. So when they, if they said God is holy, holy, it would be, oh, yeah, that's really important. That's kind of a big deal. I should pay attention to that. But it's repeated actually three times, and it's the only attribute of God that's ever repeated three times in all of Scripture. So it's kind of like the author is setting up a flashing billboard saying, hey, this is really important, and you probably should pay attention to it. Holy, holy, holy. Now, we don't do that today, but we can kind of relate. I don't know if you were like me, but I really liked playing outside in the woods when I was a kid, you know, 10 or 11, and I thought I was building the most epic fort ever known to mankind 
which consisted of about three boards hastily nailed to a tree so I could climb two feet off the ground. I mean, I was big stuff. I was getting work done out in the woods. But if, if my mom had popped her head out there and she'd said, David, I got a solid 15 minutes before I even need to worry about it. I'm fine. Parents, I'm sorry, I just said that out loud. Children, don't listen to me. But if she comes out and she says, David, Nathan, we're moving down into five-minute range. It's getting a little bit more heated. I probably should listen pretty soon. But if she pops her head out and she triple names me, David, Nathan, Gambrell, I got about 10 seconds if I want my life to continue on going as it has been the five minutes before that. If you're triple named, it's done. You know. It's go time. So it's the same thing we understand. If something's triple-peated like that, it's a big deal. It's really important. And the author's making the case, God's holiness is a really big deal. It is a huge part of who he is. If we don't understand that, we're not going to understand him. So we have to understand the holiness of God if we're going to see him more clearly. Well, before we move on, I think it's worth stopping a little bit. And I asked some of our young adults this this week, but, you know, holiness can stir up a lot of different things for people. We say God is holy or the holiness of God. You know, for some of us, it's kind of like, yeah, that guy that's up there who's kind of a taskmaster. Man, he is hard to please. He is, I always got to do more. I always got to try harder. I always seem like I'm falling a little bit short. And it's this view of this big, strong, kind of impersonal God who's a little bit angry. And for some of us, it's God's holy, which was basically just a problem that Jesus had to fix. And once Jesus died, he took care of God's holiness and we're fine and we don't have to think about it again. And for some of us, it's just a nice Christian-y word, like fellowship or grace, that when we hear it, it's kind of like Charlie Brown, where it's like, holiness, and it doesn't actually mean anything. It just kind of goes right through. Yeah, sure, God's holy. We don't think about it again. And that's why I think it's worth slowing down a little bit when we say, when you say God is holy, what does that even mean? What are we talking about? One of the main things of holiness is to be set apart, to be set apart from all others. So when we say God is holy, we mean that he is above all others. There's really nothing else that's on the God level. There's nothing else even in his stratosphere. He stands alone. There's nothing that compares. There's nothing that comes close. But he's also set apart in that he is completely untainted by all the wrong, all the messed up stuff in this world. He is absolutely pure in all that he is and all that he does. And it's certainly moral perfection. God never does wrong. Scripture is fairly clear about that. But it's a bigger picture of God's utter perfection of when God loves, he loves perfectly. He loves without fault, without defect. It is a pure love. Now we hear we hear these lofty words, and sometimes, it's, sometimes it raises a little cynicism in us because we see a lot of those things done poorly. You know, we hear God is a God of perfect love. Man, we've been hurt by love, either by the absence of love that we have longed for, of love that's really stung us in some deep ways. So it's, sometimes it's hard when we consider this purity of it. We consider God is perfectly just, He never does wrong. He never takes a bribe. He's never led astray in matters of justice. 
But we look around, man, we see a lot of injustice, either to ourselves or to others in the world. We see powers abusing people, taking advantage of those under them for their own benefit. We say, God, God is perfectly faithful. We've often been betrayed. Or sometimes we've betrayed others. And sometimes it's hard to really understand holiness because we've seen it. We've seen things done so wrong so often. My encouragement this morning is instead of turning to cynicism, why did it awaken the longing inside your heart? That, don't, you, don't you long to be loved perfectly? Don't you long to be, to be known and to be cared for? To have someone make promises to you that will never be broken? Doesn't your heart ache for that? To see justice that is unwavering, it can't be bought off. To see goodness that's never compromised. So in this picture of God's holiness, I encourage you to see it's really a beautiful picture and that he is what our hearts long for. This pure, this perfect God who is beautiful in all that he is and all that he does. Never tainted, never lacking in any way. So it's a beautiful thing to consider the holiness of God, but it's also pretty exposing. Now, let's see if you can beat the first service. I asked people to raise their hands. Everybody loves that. How many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz? Okay. Now, look around and shame those that haven't. I'm just kidding. But seriously, you need to probably take care of that. Maybe this week. The Wizard of Oz, there's this great character, The Wizard of Oz. And in the first scene, when Dorothy and her companions encounter the wizard, it's pretty bombastic. There's smoke rising, there's flame coming out, there's a disembodied green head on a screen, which is a little strange, but moving past that. And this great voice comes on, I am the great and powerful Oz. They're quaking. The cowardly lion, poor guy, he swoons. He's done, he can't even handle it. And it's this bombastic rhetoric of, I am great, you are nothing, I am awesome, you are terrible. And this intimidating, fierce wizard well, there's a beautiful scene that happens when they return to him the second time. And Toto, the cute, adorable dog, wanders off to the side where this little thing that looks kind of like a shower curtain grabs it and just pulls it open. And you see this fairly unimpressive man yelling into a microphone and turning a bunch of wheels and pushing a bunch of levers. At that point, the jig's up. He's exposed. Now, he tries to play it off. He looks over his shoulder Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Go away. It's done, though. He is exposed. He is laid bare. There is nowhere left to hide. He has been laid out as a fraud. Well, that's a little bit like what happens to Isaiah. It's a little bit more comical. It's a little less comical with Isaiah. But when he comes in the presence of God's holiness... He's exposed. And it brings up the point that when we see God's holiness, we see ourselves more accurately. And it's not always comfortable. When we see God's holiness, we see ourselves more accurately and as we really are. So let's look at the text again and see, okay, well, how, does, how exactly does Isaiah respond? Looking at verse uh, 5. Isaiah says, Woe is me! Now, he's not being melodramatic. 
What he's actually doing when a prophet would call down woe on something, it was basically a pronouncement of judgment and doom. Often other nations that stood up against Israel and um, would oppress them, prophets would say, woe on you, for you have abused God's people. Jesus said it to the Pharisees, woe is you, blind guides, leading my people away from me. Isaiah's a prophet, so when he says, woe is me, he's literally calling down a curse upon his own head. I am doomed, I am destroyed, and judgment is upon me, and I know it, and I'm the very one saying it. It's a big deal to come into the holiness of God. He's exposed. Well, he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. And the ESV uh, is one translation. There's a couple other ways you can translate that word. One of them is that I am ruined. Another one is that I am undone. A curse is on my head and I am, I'm gone. I'm being pulled apart at the seams and being in the presence of the Holy God. I'm, I'm toast. I'm done. It's over for me. He says, because you know what? He says, I'm from, a people, I'm from unclean lips. And my people are people of unclean lips. Basically saying, I'm a sinner. I have blown it and everybody I know has too. And there is nowhere to hide. There is nowhere to flee to in front of this righteous God. And I am undone. When he comes in the holiness of God, he's exposed. And it is a heavy and a weighty thing. Because when he's in God's presence, he sees this pure, beautiful, holy God who does right in everything. who's always faithful, always loving, always just. And it's like a giant mirror is being held up in his life. And he looks and he's like, okay, I see that. And I see this. Okay, I see that, and I see all of this. And he kind of, jingle starts playing in his head. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> and he realizes, I am exposed. He is so faithful, my heart is so fickle. He loves so well, I get bored in two seconds. He is infinitely patient. It's exposing. He sees purity. He sees what he was made for. He sees the God who created him. And he sees how very far he has fallen from that perfection. And he's undone. And I would say, that's kind of the appropriate response to have. And it's a little weighty. And we will talk about the gospel in Jesus, so hang in there. But if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, and you're not sure about this whole God thing, that's kind of where you stand. Undone by a God who sees everything undone and that you see how far you've fallen and how worthy of that curse and that judgment you actually are. A few application points for us that I think are pertinent right here. I don't know where you're at, but I'm pretty sure some of you, some of us, some of me, came in here pretty burdened down, carrying a heavy weight on your shoulders, maybe guilt, maybe shame, things that nobody knows about and you really hope they don't find out and you feel pretty inadequate to be here right now. You're carrying a load and you're hoping people don't find out how hard my life is right now, how rough my family life is, how utterly lonely I am. If you're here this morning and you feel like, man, I don't belong, I am not good enough, let me tell you, you know it's okay. (laughs) Because go ahead, look around. All of us nice, 
shiny, happy people, not holding hands. Every single one of us is in the same exact playing field before the Lord. There is not a single person in here that you can look around and say, that person has the moral high ground on me. Not one. Not your pastor, not your musicians, not your staff. There is nobody that stands above you before the Lord because we all stand in the same place before a holy God saying, I am undone. I have fallen so short. There is no hope for me. And the hope and the encouragement of that is we are all in the same boat. This is not a place you need to feel shame or fear. And if you're carrying a heavy load, find somebody you trust and share it. Let the gospel set you free. Because there's no hiding. He knows. We're compared to the standard and we're admitting we have blown it. We have fallen so short. There's no point in hiding. We don't need to. At the same time, it's pretty easy to fall into the other trap where we look around and feel like, yeah, my life's going pretty good. I kind of got things going how I want them. Life's just clipping along great. Some of those folks clearly are making way worse decisions than I am. I am all right. That's kind of the curse of the internet age is it's not hard to find people making worse decisions than you. It really doesn't take very long. It's easy to feel really good about yourself. Well, I'm not doing any of that stuff. So, but when you understand God's holiness, when you see it, there's no room for pride. There's no room for thinking that we're any better than anybody else, that there's anybody beneath us, anybody that's not worthy of our time, our conversation, our love. There's not one. Because we all stand in the same boat before a holy God. It's not a place to feel shame. It's not, also not a place to feel pride. Holiness of God is a pretty good equalizer. And we're all on the same footing. When we see God's holiness, we also understand the gospel more deeply. And that's the good news that's coming. You may be feeling, man, this guy's depressing. I am undone before God. Good news is coming. Hang in there. When we understand God's holiness, when we see God's holiness, we understand the gospel more deeply. Let's look back to the text. How does God respond to Isaiah? This person who's clearly blown it it, is in his presence. Does he annihilate him on the spot? Nope. Maybe he goes up to him, puts his hand on his shoulder. Hey, buddy, it's fine. You are way overreacting. I know you kind of mess it up, but we'll just sweep that under the rug and not even sweat it. No, because if he did that, he wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be a God you'd want to serve or to know or to be in relationship with. Maybe he goes up to him and says, Isaiah, you're right. Your life is a wreck. So why don't you, I'm just going to leave and let you go figure it out. And maybe when you get your mess cleaned up, you can come back to me and then we can be cool. I'll be a very long wait, an eternal wait, because it would never end, because that's not possible. What does God do? There is this unbridgeable gap between a sinful man and a holy God. What does he do? God sends his angel, the seraphim, to take a burning coal from the altar, the place where sacrifices were made and sin was atoned for, and to touch it to his lips and to say, your guilt is gone, your sin is atoned for. God himself provides the solution to the giant gap in his holiness 
and Isaiah's complete lack of. And that's the pattern for all of Scripture. It's never us working our way up to make God happy. It's never trying harder and being better and building up to the Lord. It's always him coming down and providing the solution, providing the answer. That's what it is to know a holy God. And it's not just in Isaiah. We've seen that in all of Scripture, in the whole world. God's the one who brings the solution. I mean, you know the story. This holy, perfect Pure God makes a world without flaw. It is awesome. It is good. And he puts his creation, Adam and Eve, in that world. He puts mankind here. This is my gift to you. Live in relationship with me. And in about 10 seconds, they blow it. The whole thing gets messed up. So you've got this holy God with his creation that's just getting wrecked. What does he do? You've got people that are basically saying, you know, God, you're great and all, but I think I've got this life thing figured out, and I think I kind of do it better, and so I really don't need you. You've got this holy God whose creation, whose people are being abused by one another, that is being messed up in every possible way. What does he do? The holy, perfect, untainted, pure God steps into the wreck. He comes down into the junk. And that should kind of make your mind boggle a little bit. We have this picture of a holy, perfect God who comes and rubs elbows with a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean, his disciples are fighting over who gets the best seat in his kingdom when he's about to go die. Those are great friends. You want those guys. This pure, faithful God of the universe, this is what his followers are like. This pure God who sets people free, leads people into worship, rebukes the spiritual leaders who are leading people away from him. This is the craziness of the gospel. A holy God who is pure, who is untainted. 2 Corinthians 5 says, became sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. Absolute purity Let's himself be covered in our filth so that we could know him. This is why if you don't understand God's holiness, you don't get how scandalous the gospel is. You don't get how ridiculous it is that God himself would come down and do what he did to make a way for us to be in relationship with him. The very God who makes the foundations of the temple shake when it is declared how holy he is, because of what Jesus did, is the same one that invites you to call him Abba Father. Invites you to call him Daddy. To know him intimately, personally. It is a beautiful, crazy thing. And if we understand the holiness of God, if we see it, we will understand the gospel much more deeply. And we'll stop looking to all the other things that we think are going to make it okay, because that gap was only bridged by one thing. It was what Jesus did. Paying the price for us, dying the death we deserved, and rising again. A lot of folks in here, a lot of great people, but I don't know where all of you are. And for some of you, you may just not be sure about this God thing. And if you're not, this is the good news, that you don't have to stand undone before a holy God, but can know him, can be his friend because of what Jesus did. And if that's something you're not sure about or confused about that, please come talk to us. We would love to clarify that. We would love to spell that out for you. We'd love to tell you what good news it really is.
a couple questions as we unwind, as we finish up today. When we look at the holiness of God, we're left with the question, how do you see God? Is he the angry taskmaster that you've got to keep happy? The cranky guy up in the sky that, you know, is kind of a Scrooge that you've got to keep off your back if you can? Maybe it's the other way where Jesus is your buddy. You guys hang out. You're cool. He never challenges you. He never says anything hard in your life, but you hang out. You're great. You're great friends. He's kind of like a really good teddy bear. When we understand the holiness of God, we really can't fall into either of those ditches. We have to see a God who is Lord of the universe, who shakes the temple, who we have to say, yeah, you are God and I'm not, I submit to you. But also who a God, a God who is our tender father, who is not distant, who is not angry, but has brought us into a loving relationship with himself. So how do you see God this morning? The second question we're left with is, how do you, how do you see your sin? And sin's a word that we really don't like talking about a ton. It's outside of the church, you probably won't ever hear it. It's a little bit depressing for some folks. But how do you see your sin? You might be here this morning and think, you know, I've got some stuff in my life that probably shouldn't be there. It's just not a big deal. I'm not really worried about it. I'm not stressing about it. But when you understand the holiness of God, when you see the perfection that he is and you see how your life doesn't match that, you want more of who he is and less of the sin. We have to take sin seriously because God takes sin seriously. He took it so seriously it cost the life of his son. It's not a small thing. And we do wrong if we overly minimize it. At the same time, if you are in Jesus, if you know him, you stand free. No sin is on you. You are clothed in what Jesus did on your behalf. The scripture calls that his righteousness. And that is the only thing that can take care of that gap. That is the only thing you should be putting your trust in. That's the only thing you should be resting in. Feeling the tension. Because we don't like living in tension. Let's be honest. We like clear, clarity, black and white thinking of, okay, is God just or is God love? But we have to hold the tension that he is holy in both of those things. How do you see God? How do you see your sin? Whether or not we can look through the lens of holiness is going to make a big difference. Because if we don't understand it, here's what, here's what we're going to end up with. Three things. You're going to end up with a small God. You're going to end up with a big self and a cheap gospel. If you don't see God's holiness, God's not that impressive. You've got a lot of shiny things in your life. He's not this Lord and creator of the universe. If you don't see God's holiness, you don't see your sin. You don't see your lack and you think, I'm kind of awesome. I'm great and I don't really need anything. And if you don't see God's holiness, you don't need a big gospel. You just need a cheap gospel to kind of patch up your wounds and send you off. Not to rescue you from being under a curse, from being undone in the presence of holiness. So do you see God's holiness this morning? Can you look through the lens of holiness? Because if you can, here's what I think is going to happen. Like that little girl that Mark Brown knew, you're going to look through the lens a smile's going to come across your face because you're going to get it. You're going to see you've got this magnificently beautiful, holy God who invites you to know him intimately, closely, as your heavenly father. That's the beauty of the gospel, and that's the importance of knowing God's holiness. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are a holy God. And sometimes it's challenging to understand what that means, but 
Lord, when we see it, it makes everything else clear. When we see that you are holy, we have to have a big view of God. We see your holiness as such a positive thing. Of You are so perfect. You are what our, ha- our hearts so deeply long for. And Lord, when we see your holiness, we don't have to pretend and hide anymore because we know, man, we're out of luck if you don't do something. God, we praise you. We thank you that you did something. You didn't wait. You didn't destroy us. You didn't just throw up your hands and say, I can't deal with these people who so violate my beauty and my holiness. Lord, but you stepped in among us. You knew us. And you paid the price so that we could call you Abba, Father, our Daddy. Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Help us to see through the lens of your holiness. We ask in your holy name. Amen.